chapter 4. We see two uh, Babylonian kings who allow pride and other sins to cause them to do something really uh, dumb, and they're humbled greatly for it. And, you know, having power often goes to our head and often almost makes us think that we can make the rules. And uh, that's certainly what you saw in chapter 4. And even after God had warned Nebuchadnezzar with that dream, he was still, you know, exploding with pride over Babylon the Great that was the product of his power and wisdom and all of that. And uh, God made him an animal uh, for a while so that he would learn the lesson that God is the one in charge and that he needs to give due respect to him. Similar kind of thing here. <coughs> Only much later. This is at the very end of the Babylonian kingdom. Now, Babylon didn't last very long. About 70 years, depending on when you count the start date and so forth. Um, So this is down about 539. This would be about uh, 66, 67 years after Daniel was taken into captivity. Um, So chapter 5, verses 1 to 4. Belshazzar, the king, uh, held a great feast for a thousand of his nobles, and he was drinking wine in the presence of the thousand. When Belshazzar tasted the wine, he gave orders to bring the gold and silver vessels which Nebuchadnezzar, his father, had taken out of the temple which was in Jerusalem, in order that the king and his nobles, his wives, and his concubines might drink from them. Then they brought the gold vessels that had been taken out of the temple, the house of God, which was in Jerusalem, and the king and his nobles, his wives, and his concubines drank from them. They drank the wine and praised the gods of gold and silver, of bronze, iron, wood, and stone. This used to be a great problem. Belshazzar here is presented as the last king of Babylon. But we know that the last king of Babylon was Nabonidus. And we did not know about a Belshazzar. And so this was used by those who did not believe in the inspiration of God's word as an indication that this was an error. This was not uh, a flawless document because, you know, whoever wrote this didn't have good information and he thought Belshazzar was the last king of uh, Babylon. It's amazing how skeptics have raised arguments like this that have later been totally blown out of the water. This is one of those. You know, we only have a relatively small percentage of historical artifacts and texts and other things from ancient periods. And so sometimes we just have not yet uh, excavated sufficient information to tell us about these things. But we now have 37 different texts that affirm Belshazzar's existence and that explain to us that Nabonidus was away from Babylon during the majority of his kingship. We are not for sure why. Some think it was for some kind of a religious pilgrimage or, or whatever. There may have been other reasons. But during this lengthy extended absence, Belshazzar was the one who was actually acting as king in Babylon, which is also going to tell us why he will offer to whoever can interpret the handwriting on the wall the third position in the kingdom. He himself actually had the second position. And so with just more information that we have now about Babylon, all of this fits together perfectly. 
But if you'd have lived 150 years ago, you wouldn't have known what to do with this. And that should help us when we come to other things from time to time that historically we don't have yet enough information to resolve something that on the surface doesn't seem right. Most things in the Bible are very clearly confirmed by history. There's just a handful of things here, there, and yonder that we don't yet have enough information for, but several of those things in the last 100, 150 years have been resolved as we've excavated a whole lot more and found a whole lot more information. So, you've got Belshazzar here holding this feast. And um, what do you see in this feast? Big group. Yeah. It's a big celebration, a big party. What does Belshazzar's attitude seems to be? Seem to be. Kind of a party mentality. Very much so. He doesn't seem worried about anything. He's just having a good time. Extravagant, self-indulgent. You know, he knew that the Medo-Persian armies were outside the wall of Babylon, <laughs> surrounding the city, and he was living it up on the inside. Now, he felt secure. The great wall of Babylon was famous. And you could run a bunch of chariots abreast on top of that wall. It was a major. So you couldn't get in. So let him be outside. It's no big deal. Now, we'll see a little later that it turned out to be a bigger deal than he thought it was. But, uh, you know, it's amazing how secure sometimes people can feel when the fact is they're just about, you know, to, to die. <laughs> they're just about to, to have their career finished. Um, what's he doing wrong here? Well, is his uh, calling for the use of the vessels that were used uh, in worship of God is is that a is that you think that's a purposeful thing that he's showing his superiority to be able to do that? Probably, but it's at least a desecration of those sacred vessels. He had no business using them, almost like spitting in God's eye. You know, because what was he using them for? They were praising the gods of gold and silver. And this is a, a worship celebration honoring, you know, false gods using the sacred utensils of the temple. That's even more outrageous. What else was not good about this party? Drinking. Yeah. That might have been why he was abusing the sacred vessels. Maybe he got drunk enough, he didn't really care. Or maybe he just didn't care even when he was sober. But you can see, see a lot of serious mistakes made in this big party that they're having. And, uh, you know, God has his say about this here in a moment. Do you have questions and comments on these first four verses? Can I ask you a question about what you're you're speaking on about and you said about the last 150 years? Where, where do people find these these other documents and stuff? Like I don't know where, where these are found. They do excavation of like sites of ancient cities okay. and things like that. That's the primary way, you know. And sometimes they can find documents or they can find uh, pottery on which things are written, are written and things like mm -hmm. that. You know, I don't know a ton about that. 
Now, I don't think this has any bearing on this particularly, but like, you know, the Dead Sea Scrolls were found in 47, which was just, you know, a Bedouin boy playing near a cave and throwing a rock in and hearing the shattering of the glass and, you know, finding this whole library in this cave. So there's, there's various things that can happen that, that reveal, you know, more information. But generally, it's, it's trying to uh, excavate, you know, sites of, of ancient cities and so forth. Okay. exhausted my knowledge of all of that. <laughs> Isn't it interesting if, if folks would understand that the Bible is God's word and thus is correct, how the attitude would be maybe more like, I can't wait till we find yes. something outside the Bible that, that shows, uh, well, I'm not saying that well, but rather than being skeptical about the truth of the Bible, they would just be waiting for something else that might come along and get more information. Exactly. The Bible ought to be the default truth. We know it's right. And so if uh, there's some discrepancies, we, we're just kind of waiting on our archaeology to catch up to the Bible. You know, that's the way it ought to be. And the fact that the Bible's been proven so many times, and that there's several instances like this, where the skeptics were sure it was wrong, now we know it was right. I mean, we've got all the evidence in the world for the scriptures. And, uh, you know, it really isn't, uh, you know, rational to doubt it anymore. But it's not based on rationality. It's based on the fact people don't want to believe it. Right. And so, you know, if there's ever a discrepancy, well, the Bible's wrong. You know, it's crazy. Other thoughts? Well, there is uh, an event that occurs that was not scheduled for the banquet. Five through nine. In the same hour, the fingers of a, of a man's hand appeared and wrote opposite the lampstand on the plaster of the wall of the king's palace, and the king saw the part of the hand that wrote. Then the king's uh, countenance changed, and his thoughts troubled him, so that the joints of his hips were loosened and his knees knocked against each other. The king cried aloud to bring in the astrologers, the Chaldeans, uh, and the soothsayers. The king spoke, saying to the wise man of Babylon, Whoever reads this writing and tells me its interpretation shall be clothed with purple and have a chain of gold around his neck, and he shall be the third ruler in the kingdom. Now all the king's wise men came, but they could not read the writing to make no or make known to the king its interpretation. Then King Belshazzar was greatly troubled, his countenance was changed, and his lords were astonished. Whoa. Can you imagine being in that banquet and suddenly this hand just appears out of nowhere? And I take it it's only the hand and starts writing on the wall. What do you think you might imagine? Drink a little too much. <laughs> That's what I think. There's only one problem. The words are written on the wall. You can still see them. You know, how did they get there? Whoa, that would sober you up in a hurry. And it really scared Belshazzar to death. And of course he wants to find somebody who can read this, who can who can who can interpret it, who can tell what this means. I mean there's just like four words written up there and you know, they're kind of cryptic in as far as the point of these words. And uh, so he calls for all of his, you know, professional advisors, the wise men and so forth, and none of them knew what it meant. Well that scares him even more. 
You know, here's something that's been written by this hand, and not even the wise men know what it means. Comments and thoughts. You know, I don't think it would be so weird for the Adams family. <laughs> yeah, this was something cut out of that page, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> it's just like, wow. <laughs> you scared. You know, if that ever started happening in your house, I bet you'd freak out, you know. <laughs> the Lord has um, intriguing means of communication sometimes. And uh, with somebody like Belshazzar, it takes something startling to uh, wake him up. All right, how about 10 to 16? The queen entered the banquet hall because of the words of the king and his nobles. The queen spoke and said, O king, live forever. Do not let your thoughts alarm you or your face be pale. There is a man in your kingdom in whom is a spirit of the holy gods. And in the days of your father, illumination, insight, and wisdom like the wisdom of the gods were found in him. And King Nebuchadnezzar, your father, your father the king, appointed him chief of the magicians, conjurers, Chaldeans, and diviners. This was because an extraordinary spirit, knowledge, and insight, interpretation of dreams, explanation of enigmas, and solving of difficult problems were found in this Daniel, whom the king named Belteshazzar. Let Daniel now be summoned, and he will declare the interpretation. Then Daniel was brought in before the king. The king spoke and said to Daniel, Are you that Daniel who is one of the exiles from Judah, whom my father the king brought from Judah? Now I have heard about you that a spirit of the gods is in you, and that illumination, insight, and extraordinary wisdom have been found in you. Just now the wise men and the conjurers were brought in before me that they might read this inscription and make its interpretation known to me, but they could not declare the interpretation of the message. But I personally have heard about you, that you are able to give interpretations and solve difficult problems. Now if you are able to read the inscription and make its interpretation known to me, you will be clothed with purple and wear a necklace of gold around your neck, and you will have authority as the third ruler in the kingdom. Okay. So he hadn't been able to find any wise men competent to interpret the writing. And who gives him uh, some inside advice? The queen. Probably like the queen mother. And uh, she tells about in the days of Nebuchadnezzar when he was the king that uh, Daniel was able to interpret his dream. Now, I will mention something that, again, we don't necessarily have enough information to say a whole lot about. It does not at the moment appear that Belshazzar was the physical son of Nebuchadnezzar. It may be, through his mother, that he was the grandson of Nebuchadnezzar, and they would use the word son for descendant, whether it was son, grandson, or whatever. It's also possible that son, father here means just uh, predecessor and successor on the throne. That was, the term was sometimes used that way as well. Um, there is a, um, there's a writing um, uh, in, in the Assyrian documents where Jehu, is called the son of Ahab. Well, he actually is the one that exterminated Ahab's family, but he was a later king on the throne that Ahab had occupied. 
So I'm not sure about that. I don't think we've got enough information to answer that. But it wasn't at least, as far as we know, a direct father-son uh, relationship. But but either saying your father, that is your grandfather, or saying your father, that is your predecessor on the throne. And uh, so uh, Belshazzar brings Daniel in and says, you know, I, I hear you can do this. Uh, I, I really need uh, you to tell what the interpretation of this writing is, and I'll richly reward you for doing so. Comments and questions? Gary, does it seem strange to you that Daniel was like the chief wise man, and here like nobody even thinks to bring him in until later? Well... Like, that just confused me a little bit. It's almost like they kind of forgot about him. Yes, although I suspect Daniel's role was not so much in the wise man department. You know, he, I don't know that he's one of these professional sorcerers, magicians, Chaldeans, and so forth, that they would have turned to normally. I suspect he's got probably a, a, a more of a governmental role. And so he probably wasn't on the staffs that they would turn to for that kind of thing. That's my guess. Okay, well, that kind of makes sense. I, I wouldn't swear to that, but that, that's the way I've envisioned this, is that he wouldn't have been, not that he wasn't a wise man, but that he wasn't in that category of professional wise men. Okay. Yeah, wasn't he promoted to more than just head of the magicians? Right, yeah. <laughs> Which, what, what would Daniel do in that position? All right, Daniel. <laughs> uh, yeah, really. You're in charge of all these uh, <laughs> uh, magicians. Yeah, I mean, you know, I don't know. This is years before. Who knows? In 248, he made him rule over the whole province of Babylon and chief prefect over all the wise men of Babylon. You know, so he had a, a, evidently an administrative position then. But it wouldn't surprise me if he'd advanced even beyond that by now. I mean, that was years before, so. You're over all these false yeah. magicians. What's your first first job? You're all fired. Yeah, really. <laughs> sure. Uh, when Elijah was taken up in the whirlwind, Elisha called out, My father, my father. That yeah, might good be point. a similar. Yeah, good point. Because clearly not father in the, you know, family sense, mm -hmm. but a father figure to him, yeah. How old is Daniel here? Well, this is 66 years or so after he was taken into captivity. How old was he when he was taken? Um, young man. Hmm. Was if he was 16 then, he'd be 82 now. Um, how old would he have been there in 248 when... Well, I, I take it that that was shortly after he was taken into captivity. That's what it sounds like. Yeah. Like so many... Well, if he was... Okay. So I guess I was, with the way it's worded, by um, him being the chief minister over all the wise men, or if he was over the wise men, I mean, maybe he's not now. I don't right. know. You know what I mean? Because you would think, if he was, you would think they would have... He would have been one of the first people to go to here in this case, but I don't know. I mean, but many years, obviously, have passed, I guess, so... Who knows? I just don't think we have enough information again to be sure about right. you know, what role he's got. And it's not like there were these major puzzles up, coming up every. That's true. It could have been 60 years since God spoke to the last king in right. that way. So. Right. 
But fortunately, the queen remembers, and he's able to bring Daniel in. You know, of course, the Lord, I'm sure, had his hand in all of that. Maybe the queen was a smart one, because she wasn't at the banquet. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that would probably be a smart place to have avoided. Yeah, like Yeah. All right, 17 to 28. Then Daniel answered and said before the king, Let your guest be for yourself and give your rewards to another. Yet I will read the writing to the king and make known to him the interpretation. O king, the most high God gave Nebuchadnezzar, your father, a kingdom and majesty, glory and honor. And because of the majesty that he gave him, all peoples, nations, and languages trembled, or trembled and feared before him. Whomever he wished, he executed. Whomever he wished, he kept alive. Whomever he wished, he set he set up, and whomever he wished, he put down. Though when his heart was lifted up, and his spirit was hardened in pride, he was disposed, he was deposed um, from his kingly throne, and they took his glory from him. Then he was driven from the sons of men, his heart was made like the beast, and his dwelling was with the wild donkeys. They fed him with grass like oxen, and his body was wet with the dew of heaven, till he knew till he knew uh, that the Most High God rules in the kingdom of men, and appoints over it whomever he chooses. But you, his son, Belshazzar, have not humbled your heart, although you, although you knew all this. And you have lifted yourself up against the Lord of heaven. They have brought the vessels of his house before you, and you and your lords, your wives and your concubines, have drunk wine from them. And you have praised the gods of silver and gold, bronze and iron, wood and stone, which do not see or hear or know. And the God who holds your breath in his hand and owns all your ways, you have not glorified. And the fingers of the hand were sent from him, and this writing was written. And this is the inscription that was written. Uh, four words I can't pronounce. This is the interpretation of each word. Uh, first one, God has numbered your kingdom and finished it. The second one, you have uh, been weighed in the balances and found wanting. The third, your kingdom has been divided and given to the um, Medes and Persians. Alright. So, how does Daniel feel about the gifts? Keep it. Yeah, don't bother. Now, he'll bother, but it's really not worth anything. You know, the kingdom's over tonight. So, this is going to be a very short-lived... Uh, you know, privileges here. Like writing a check that's going to advance. Yeah, exactly, yeah. yeah exactly. Receiving a check that's going to advance. Yeah, it's uh, not, not worth a whole lot. Uh, so, uh, but he is willing to interpret the uh, writing for Belshazzar. He starts, though, with what happened to Nebuchadnezzar and how Nebuchadnezzar was, uh, you know, proud and and arrogant, and God had humbled him. God had made him like an animal so that he would learn to give the credit and glory to the Lord. But it hadn't had any impact on Belshazzar. Belshazzar, Belshazzar hadn't learned anything from his predecessor. He was arrogant and proud and lifted up, you know, praising these other gods, not glorifying the true God. And that's what had happened that had caused God to write these words on the wall. 
and he tells us what they mean. And these words really tell us what's going to happen with Belshazzar. First of all, the word meany that's written twice, it means uh, numbered, I believe. Let's see, uh, yeah. Numbered or counted. And it's saying, uh, God has, has counted the days of your kingdom and it's about over. <laughs> you know, we, we have that expression where we'd say your days are numbered. That means there are not many of them left. Uh, well, there's really not many of them left here. Uh, Tico uh, means weighed. And uh, he says, that's because you've been weighed and you don't weigh enough. <laughs> you know, you're a lightweight spiritually. And then Eupharson um, is... Uh, the plural of Paris with the and on the front and the P going to a PH because it's got the and on the front. So this is, when he writes it out, it's meany, meany, tickle, and parson, which is the plural of Paris. So when you read Paris, you're just reading, he's just defining the singular of, of what he'd written on there. And, and Paris means divided. And so your kingdom is divided between the Medes and the Persians. So what was written on the wall was counted, counted, weighed, and divided. And what it means is the kingdom's days are counted. Belshazzar has been weighed and found lacking. And the kingdom is going to be divided between the Medes and the Persians. That's what that was all about. Uh, and it's not a very pleasant uh, news for Belshazzar. Comments and questions? What language was this? Uh, surely it was Aramaic. He can read it, he just didn't know what it Yeah, I don't think there's a problem with understanding the words, but what do you think if you read counted, counted, weighed, and divided? <laughs> you know, it's like, uh, okay. So yeah, I don't think it's the, he wants to interpret it. He wants to, the explanation of the meaning of them. Ryan, did you have your hand up? Yeah, um, I don't have a footnote as far as the meaning and tickle go with the, the Perez, or is that how you pronounce it? Yeah, I don't know how you pronounce uh, those things. That my, I got a little footnote that says, um, and I don't know what this means, I was going to ask you. It says, well, it says Aramaic. It's the same word, but the A's are changed, or the E's are changed to A's in, in that word, and then uh, for the Aramaic version, and then, but it says, Consonant with this spelling. What's that consonant mean there? You know what the word consonant? I don't know what that word means. C O N S O N A N T. Yeah, am I pronouncing that right? Yeah. Yeah, that's the word. I don't know what it means. There. I don't know. Well, in this case, I'm not sure. Okay. Consonant is what's not vowels sometimes, or something that's yeah. consonant with something, and something that agrees with it, conforms to it. Does it maybe just mean there's two different ways to spell it? Maybe. That's the only thing I can get from it. I don't know if you need something more than me. Okay. So in the way that God had humbled Nebuchadnezzar, he's going to humble Belshazzar. Exactly. And for the same reason. Uh -huh. It's interesting how Daniel, kind of like kind of like Paul, whenever he got an, an opportunity to, to address people, he didn't just give the quick answer. He, he, you know, he gave a sermon and talked about God. I think that's what we see here. Not that he's not being guided by one. God wants him to say, but you know, my reaction probably would have been, "Well, I'll tell you what it means." Mm -hmm. Yes. There's a greater message. Yes. 
Yeah, very good. Yeah, the, you know, God's, God's really trying to teach him a lesson. So Daniel teaches the lesson, doesn't just say this is the meaning of the terms. Yeah, good point. And it's the lesson of Daniel. It's the lesson of the book. God is the ruler, and we should humble ourselves, not exalt ourselves. He's the most high. He's the ruler, and he will cut you down to size if you need it. If you're not giving him the glory and the credit, he'll do something about it. You know, and, and really almost every chapter shows that. One, in one way or the other. A lot of them show that very powerfully. And it's the same thing we need. How many times do we get to getting the big head and think that we uh, are in control, we are the wise one, you know, we can handle everything ourselves and kind of ignore what God says and what he wants? I mean, when we start following that path, we can expect similar kinds of uh, put-downs to what Nebuchadnezzar and Belshazzar experienced. In the uh, the way the king presents his knowledge of Daniel, it seems to, at least to me, appears to embellish it just a little bit. Yeah, I've heard all about you <laughs> just five minutes ago. <laughs> he kind of leaves that part out. It's like, yeah, I, now I've heard about you. Get this spirit. I think it's interesting too. He goes through all yeah, that. Yeah, I've, I've heard all about you. And in a sense, Daniel turns around and says, "Yes, and I've heard all about you." Yes. <laughs> Yeah, he kind of um, reads his pedigree, I guess you could say. You know, certainly exposes his sinful attitudes, you know, that were behind this ridiculous behavior. There was something, obviously, about the way Daniel presented it, uh, that the king sure had no problem believing it. Probably the fact that he recounted a lot of his history and what had just taken place in the... uh, bringing of the vessels, which she would have had no knowledge of necessarily. And the Queen Mother had vouched for him, and he is able to explain what that writing means. I mean, I think the writing has humbled Belshazzar. Obviously, something's going on here. And, um, so... It's it's too late. I mean, this is just... This is basically informing for the purpose of teaching the lesson. There's no... There's nothing Belshazzar can do. It's over. You know, there's this, the days, at this point, the hours have been numbered, you know. So. Other thoughts? Twenty-nine to thirty-one. Then Belshazzar gave orders, and they clothed Daniel with purple and put a necklace of gold around his neck and issued a proclamation concerning him that he now had authority as the third ruler in the kingdom. That same night, Belshazzar, the Chaldean king, was slain. So Darius, the Mede, received the kingdom at about the age of 62. All right. So, uh, Belshazzar, uh, you know, orders these uh, things to be done for Daniel for, you know, a few minutes, maybe a few hours. But what happened that night? Someone killed him. Yeah, Belshazzar was killed and Amid was king over Babylon. So they must have gotten in. You know, when we thought they were safely uh, blocked from getting in by that wall. Now, there, 
anytime you've got historians commenting on things, there's debate. There's some debate as to whether or not this is true. But both Herodotus and, never have figured out how to pronounce his name, Xenophon, Xenophon, something like that. They're both Greek historians. And uh, both of them tell about how Cyrus, who was kind of the head of the army of the Medes and the Persians, was ingenious as to how he dealt with the problem of the wall around Babylon. Always a problem, what do you do with the wall? If it's a rickety wall, then you just batter ram it down. But if it's not, you know, do you just, you know, starve out the city? That takes several years sometimes. Or what? Well, what they did, there was a water supply for the city, a river that ran underneath the wall. And apparently they went upstream and dug sort of a canal and diverted, dammed it up and diverted the flow of the river. <laughs> so they were able to go in under the wall in the riverbed. <laughs> and, you know, obviously Belshazzar is not expecting a fight that night. He and his, you know, big wigs are drinking and partying it up. So they took Babylon overnight, basically with no fight at all. It's exactly what the handwriting on the wall said. You know, he gets that information shortly before he's killed. You know, a few minutes or hours before that. And, uh, you know, it's interesting that both Herodotus and Xenophon mention the Babylonian banquet that night. You know, so I suspect that's historically true. You know, that's, that's the best information we've got. Um, there is a problem though and that is Darius the Mede who is Darius the Mede now there were some later I don't know if we want to call them Dariuses or Darii I don't know <laughs> something that were kings of Medo-Persia but the king of Medo-Persia at this point was Cyrus and that will even be mentioned over in 628 the reign of Cyrus the Persian so who's this Darius the Mede that received the kingdom at about the age of 62? I think there are two good possibilities. Uh, but I don't know which of these is better. Or if it's possible with more information we'll come up with a third that I have not considered. But one possibility is that Darius was like a governor over Babylon. He was the ruler over Babylon under Cyrus who would have been the emperor of the whole Medo-Persian Empire. Now, we don't know of a guy by the name of Darius like that, but it's not impossible, we just don't know the name of the governor then, or that he goes by more than one name. There's uh, apparently a guy named Gubaru, or maybe Ugbaru, depending on who you read, that was the governor of Babylon. Some people have thought Darius may have been a... A, a governor name, throne name for him, or another name for him. I think that's a possibility. You know, just like we didn't know about Belshazzar, we may not know the full story on the name of this governor, or may there may be a governor we don't even know about over Babylon. Here's a second possibility. There's some things that are attractive about this possibility to me. And that is maybe Darius the me is the same as Cyrus the Persian. Now in 628, it says, so this Daniel enjoyed success in the reign of Darius and in the reign of Cyrus the Persian. 
but it is possible to translate that in the reign of Darius, that is, in the reign of Cyrus the Persian. It's not required that you translate it that way, but it is a possible translation, and that may be the idea. It may be that the median name of Cyrus was Darius. Um, there is a parallel, more or less, in First Chronicles 5.26, so the God of Israel stirred up the spirit of Paul, king of Assyria, even the spirit of Tiglath-Pileser, king of Assyria. Paul and Tiglath-Pileser are the same person. And that's what it means when he says, even the spirit of, just saying, this is who that is. Paul's his nickname. First, First Chronicles 5.26. So that's another, that's a passage that does that same thing with that same construction, equating the two. So it may be that Darius is actually Cyrus, or he just didn't know it. Um, I, I, won't, I won't, you know, argue strenuously for either of those. And there may be another explanation that we don't know about, or that, that you know, we haven't really, uh, you know, considered deeply, that with more information, we'll clear up that picture. But this is one of those unsolved mysteries at this point, as to the identity of this Darius. So... Comments and questions on chapter 5. Cass? Didn't Daniel say earlier that he didn't want the... He did. <laughs> and you can see why, but at least Belshazzar decreed he'd get it. Uh, I bet he didn't spend much time as third ruler. You know, maybe he got the necklace and the purple before the, uh, you know, Belshazzar was killed, but I don't know about that. Um... I guess it says they clothed him, so it wouldn't put it on his neck. So apparently they gave it to him. Wouldn't have been for long. If uh, if Belshazzar was the second ruler, who'd you say would you say? Nabonidus. Nabonidus. Yeah. Where where do we read about him? Or not in the Bible. Oh, not in the Bible. Oh, right. okay. This is just historical. Right. Exactly. Okay. Exactly. So we always knew Nabonidus was the ruler, the last ruler of Babylon. Okay. So it's like, where did Belshazzar come in? This? Come in, but now we know that without a okay. doubt. Nobody, nobody's questioning that now. Oh, really? Okay. So it's, that guy was out, probably somewhere. He was. He was know, gone he was for several years. Got home. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Honey, I'm home. Uh, <laughs> yeah, that's for sure. And, and some have even thought maybe he was mentally disturbed, and that's what the thing he was sent off. Oh, really? There's several theories about why he was, yeah. you know, not around. We're just not sure what. Everyone just seems to have the same agreement though that he was gone somewhere. somewhere he, he was gone. We way. know he was gone. We mo know Belshazzar was the acting king. Okay. So, okay. I think if my name were Ubaru, I'd go by Darius. <laughs> 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 you can kind of see that, can't you? I have a, I have a historical note about this wall of Babylon uh, that it was 335 feet high and 85, 85 feet thick. That is big. That's huge. I mean, you could, you could understand if, if that's true or even close to true, I would feel secure. Yeah, yeah exactly. You know, how are you going to penetrate that? You know, in that era, maybe we'd have a. I don't know, bomb that would do that now, but yeah. That's unbelievable. Yeah, it was it was it was a wonder. You know, it was just an amazing wall. Yeah. <laughs> what do you do with that? Well you can't even picture that. I mean what you know, the smokestack over at the power plant's three hundred feet. 
tall. <laughs> and to be that thick. Yeah. Well, you could, we could have an interstate on top of that. <laughs> you know, Cass. How long did it take to build it? I don't know the answer to that. No, how, long did, how tall did you say it was? About 335. Yeah. And I, how the, did you say they went under it? Like through it and that's how they got it? You see, the, the, there was a river going underneath the water. Right. And that was the water supply for the city. Okay. So from what Herodotus and that other guy say, right. they dammed it up. They cut kind of a, a, a canal to divert the flow to let the water go a different direction. They dam it up. When you don't have the water flowing, then you've got the riverbed you can get underneth the wall. Oh, I see, I see. That was ingenious, don't you think? Oh, yeah, yeah. Huh. You know, it's always your deal. You, remember. You, you remember, well, it only works once in history. Oh, well. You know? <laughs> now they're wise to it. Remember what they did to uh, get into, uh, was it, who was it, Sparta fighting Troy? Was that what it was? How they got soldiers into Troy? The Trojan horse. They had this this horse, this present, but there were actually soldiers inside of this, you know, horse that they'd given them. And so, you know, then once they take the horse inside the city walls, then I guess the soldiers were able to escape and get the door open to the city or whatever. But you don't do that a second time in history. You know, everybody's wise with that one now. Of course, we don't use walls anymore, so. If they ever do, remember them. All right, anything else you want to say on chapter 5? All right, chapter 6, verses 1 to 3.